You get more out of life when you go out to a movie. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Hello, welcome once again to Cinema a la Carte, a movie podcast that critiques and reviews various films. Basically, it is a podcast that is, a, uh, I guess, part of the umbrella of the Dark Discussions podcast uh, group. Uh, so that's www.darkdiscussions.com. And uh, Mike, or, or I should say Eric, because this is actually uh, your idea, Eric. Mike just named the podcast. Uh, so what, why are we doing this podcast as a separate podcast? Uh, well, we're doing this as a separate podcast because along the way, over the past, Jesus, nine years, um, we've had disagreements over what should be included under the dark discussions label and what should not. Um, and an easy way to deal with it is to have this podcast, uh, where we can talk about movies that aren't necessarily, uh, dark discussions material. Um, but movies that we want to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, And I think we are still who we are. Our tastes are still our tastes, right? Um, so, we still get films that have something of a darker edge to them or could be. And, you know, tonight's film is sort of a, a, a monster film. I saw it in one description as techno horror, uh, <laughs> which I guess I could see. So you can make an argument for this one. I certainly could say that the film that I, I'm not going to say what it is, but the film that we're probably going to do next, not a horror film, but certainly has some dark overtones to it. Mm-hmm. The films that we've done in the past. I mean, we haven't, we didn't do UHF. Right. We didn't do not yet. Not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, we we didn't do your 30 year old virgin or something. So, you know, there, there is always, so there still tends to be because we're attracted to things that are a little darker. There tends to be, but it's not necessarily as clear cut horror thriller. Um, right. Raping films. And and we find ourselves kind of steering away from comedies just because when you're talking about comedies, it's really easy to fall into the, remember when he did this? Remember when he said that? Remember when this happened? It was funny. And uh, perhaps other movies are a little more interesting to discuss. Yeah, comedy, yeah. I think you'd have to be, like, if I was listening to professional comedians, dissect a comedy film, that might be more interesting. People have actually studied the art of comedy and understand something about how to put, you know, how, you know, that everything that goes into making a good joke. Right. But, I, that, that, but that's not us. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Yeah. As, we, we can as can, as can job, be right? seen from the frequent silence after I make jokes. <laughs> True. True. 
yes. And, uh, yeah, so, so yeah, I mean, that's a fair point, Mike. A lot of the films, we've had a cu- couple of films uh, in, in the queue that are going to be released shortly now that uh, the Westworld podcast is over. We can focus on releasing uh, this podcast uh, monthly again. Um, uh, I think two of them are aren't necessarily dark discussion-y, but all the rest of them are like on the border of dark discussion. So as, as you pretty much mentioned, Mike, um, and, and so, yeah, yeah. So most of those films that we're picking are that I, I think tonight's film actually was chosen as one of the films for a, a poll to do in, in the past where we were discussing, uh, put a poll up on Facebook way back, like seven years ago saying, uh, what, uh, what would you like us to do? And, and we each listed two or three films and forbidden plan, I think may have been one of the ones that was listed on there, but, uh, we'll, uh, meaning it, it could have qualified. Uh, anyway, uh, Eric, uh, uh, since this, uh, podcast is a uh, part of umbrella rather than have its own, uh, website. Uh, we have a darkdiscussions.com website that you can find uh, the episodes. Uh, what else can you find over there? Oh, you can find a bunch of stuff. Um, on the right-hand side of the front page of darkdiscussions.com, you can find links to all the friends of the podcast, so check them out. Um, the audio section up top is where Phil was uh, referring to, where you can get all the episodes of Dark Discussions, uh, as well as any of the spinoff podcasts available for free, bound to be something interesting for you there. There's also an article section where uh, there's some stuff that's been written by myself as well as others. And on the front page, front and center, uh, there's a link to our Patreon account. Patreon's a service that allows you to support your online artists. Uh, producing these shows is not free. Uh, we have to pay for things like movie rentals and equipment and server hosting and all that kind of good stuff. So if you'd like to help offset the cost of producing this show, that's how you can do it. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash darkdiscussions or follow the link on the front page. For every $5 a month that you care to donate, you'll have the opportunity to submit a topic to possibly be covered on the show. We take all the submissions from my patrons and, on a quarterly basis, draw one at random to do an episode about. So, uh, if you'd like to support us financially, we would greatly appreciate it. Go to uh, patreon.com slash darkdiscussions or follow the link on the front page of darkdiscussions.com. Yep, absolutely. And... Uh... For folks who are interested, you can email us at darkdiscussions at AOL.com, where we will read your uh, email on the podcast. So if you have uh, opinions on this topic here tonight or anything else, uh, you can email us here at darkdiscussions at AOL.com. And we do have a Facebook group for Cinema a la carte, which is basically the Dark Discussions Podcast Facebook group. So just search for Dark Discussions Podcast Facebook group, and we will add you to the conversation where you can start your own conversation or you can join in on any of the conversations that are happening there. Uh, anything else anybody want to bring up? Anything? Did we miss anything? I think we're good. All right. So, uh, Eric, uh, why don't you let everybody know what we're going to discuss tonight? Tonight, uh, we are going to be discussing the 1956 sci-fi classic Forbidden Planet.
yourself as one of the crew of this faster-than-light spaceship of the future, sharing their curiosity to know the unknown, their tension, their readiness for inconceivable adventures. Sir, we're being radar scanned. United Planets Cruiser C-57D, J.J. Adams commanding. Who are you? Morbius of the Bellerophon. Oh, Dr. Morbius, my orders are to survey the situation on Altair IV. Commander, if you sat down on this planet, I warn you that I cannot be answerable for the safety of your ship or your crew. When you reach the Forbidden Planet, you will meet Dr. Morbius, played by Walter Pigeon. The doctor is sole owner of this fabulous world. Anne Francis is his alluring daughter, Alta, who has never seen a young man till she meets Commander Adams, played by talented Leslie Nielsen. Mom, in. Didn't bring my bathing suit. What's a bathing suit? Oh, murder. You will meet a charming character in The Robot, able to produce, on order, ten tons of lead or a slinky evening gown. Always at your service. It must be the loveliest, softest thing you've ever made for me. And fit in all the right places, with lots and lots of star sapphires. Star sapphires take a week to crystallize properly. Would diamonds or emeralds do? You explore all the wonders of a vanished civilization. You travel deep down into the heart of the forbidden planet to discover the incredible marvels of this lost genius race. These magnificent scenes in striking Eastman color stagger the imagination. 20 miles. Look down, gentlemen, are you afraid? 7,800 levels. Yet the wonders of the planet Altair IV conceal a strange and evil force, unknown, irresistible. That's right. Uh, Forbidden Planet is, as Eric said, classic. Uh, it's considered one of the greatest science fiction films of all time uh, by most folks. Uh, it's always listed near the top, and that includes not just for 1950s, but all-time science fiction films up to modern day. Uh, the film uh, was directed by Fred M. Wilcox. He's uh, done a bunch of films for MGM back in the day, uh, including the, uh, Lassie and things like that. Uh, Nicholas Nafak was uh, the producer. Screenplay is uh, by Cyril Hume. Um, and uh, the cast is actually a pretty, pretty solid cast. Uh, Walter Pigeon, two-time Academy Award nominee, uh, Canadian-American uh, uh, 
after World War One, he came to the States and moved to Boston, became a banker, and became a U.S. citizen. Uh, Leslie Nielsen, another Canadian-American who uh, kept his, uh, I think, joint citizenship between the two nations. Um, and he's uh, actually um, probably most famous out of all the actors because uh, his popularity came all the way until uh, his passing. And then uh, Anne Francis as well. Uh, also, uh, some pretty good special effects and uh, some iconic uh, things, quotes, and uh, the robot, Robbie the robot, and whatnot. Uh, so I guess we can get into uh, what we thought about the film and how we heard about it. And since uh, Mike chose this film as our topic tonight, Mike, why don't you start? Okay. Um, I was looking for an excuse with this podcast um, at the time that this, this got picked. I was thinking about films that I used to really love and I'd watched frequently and I have not watched in a long, long time. And this is that one. I do not believe I've watched, uh, well, this is one of them. I do not believe I've watched this since I moved out of my apartment into, uh, my house. And that was 15 years ago. So that, that's a pretty good gap. I think I still own it on DVD, but never upgraded to Blu-ray. That also kind of dates it for me. Um, because Blu-ray started to be a thing around the time I think that I moved into the house or not long after. Uh, and, you know, trying to find another genre film, you know, we, we have wallowed so much in horror for the last nine years because of a weekly podcast. Um, and I enjoy the horror genre quite a bit, but I also love science fiction. So I want to go back to something science fictiony. And I thought what better uh, thing to do than revisit a science fiction classic um, we have in the past talked about War of the Worlds. We've talked about the thing from another world. Um, and so this is another one that I would love to check off on our uh, list of 1950s science fiction classics. All right. And uh, what did you think about the film, Mike? And uh, how did you hear about it? I heard about it because it's a fucking classic. <laughs> uh, um <laughs> Well, I mean, this is one of those movies that, you know, I can't remember when I first saw it anymore. Um, this is one of those movies that if you were a little film nerd like I was, and, and obviously um, Star Wars was huge. Uh, and before Star Wars, I was, I you know, my first fandoms were either Planet of the Apes or Star Trek, both of which dated from before I, you know, went to kindergarten. So I can't tell you which one I watched first, but I loved both of those franchises. And especially when Star Wars hit, um, you got so much about uh, magazine articles and talking about the influence of how Star Wars was made and things that, um, you know, the inspiration for it and <clears throat> reading all those things about the making of Star Wars and the rest exposed me to earlier films and made me want to look those films up. Um you know, it isn't like I know War of the Worlds I had originally seen on TV um, and my mother, you know, let me watch it. She was a fan. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't I think I had to seek this one out, you know, probably like on AMC or something like that later on. But this is uh, this is a really seminal uh, classic of the genre from that period. And it introduces a lot of tropes, I think, or uses a lot of tropes that we now just associate with science fiction that we may not realize and watching it in hindsight, how uh, kind of groundbreaking they were stuff like the fact that this is the first science fiction films that's entirely set off earth. 
Um, it's the first film to have an entirely uh, synthetic score, uh, which uh, disqualified it at the time from being uh, nominated for an Academy Award. Um, it is very much, a if you watch this in the right light, a template for what Star Trek would become. It was not intended to be, but it was. You know, so the whole thing of uh, it was the first science fiction film which humans had the ability to travel faster than the speed of light. Little things like that that are just common tropes. Then all of those things, of course, had been in science fiction literature before, and pulps, and you know, some movie serials. But as far as a film, and I think if you watch it, this is clearly for a uh, the films of the day. Um, this is a this is a film that has some money behind it. It is treated seriously. It is shot seriously. I love the cinematography in the film. Um, I think some of the performances could be better, but uh, I, I think it's it's a it's a really really good example of what the genre could have been. And along with War of the Worlds and the Thing from Another World and Invasion of the Body Snatchers, uh, in that era, really paved the way for everything I think that that followed, and maybe this one more than any of the others. All right, very good. Um, yeah, for me, um, I, I again don't know how I heard about the film. Uh, I mean, I, I heard about it because I knew about Robbie the Robot. I mean, pretty much everybody who was introduced to Robbie the Robot that hadn't seen this film probably found out about him because of Gremlins. Um, and, Twilight Zone. Uh, oh, he was in Twilight Zone too. He was in that? a couple yeah. episodes of Twilight Zone too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so. Uh, you know, Robbie the Robot was always iconic anyway. So um, when I was getting into um, science fiction films as well, uh, and I'm guessing VHS, but I, I again, I, I don't even remember when I had seen the film. Uh, but all in all, um, yeah, I, I loved the film uh, the first time I had seen it. Uh, I thought the concept was, was brilliant because it basically um, – is trying to decipher um, the mind um, and whatnot in a sense, and because it's more than just science fiction, um, and and I thought that was brilliant because it's absolutely right what it, what it's trying to say. Um, the special effects are pretty solid, um, Mike. What, what do they call it when they had paintings in the background? What, what, what was that called back in the day? I forget what they do. Common used to do that a lot with his matte paintings. Yeah, matte paintings. Yeah, yes. so they used fantastic matte paintings, um, special effects where they have uh, visual um, that they add to the screen for the monster. Um, the special effects for um, footprints and various other things they do is really good. Um, and Mike mentioned about the score is pretty solid because it's it's original and interesting. Um, and the acting is, is pretty solid as well. Um, all around, it is a comic relief character that is a little over the top, but otherwise, uh, pretty solid all around. And, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's great. And I can understand why, um, it's considered a classic and, and still, uh, beloved uh, today. Uh, so yeah, it's one of my favorite science fiction films from, for a while. I actually, uh, upgraded to the Blu-ray about a year or two ago when it first popped up on Blu-ray, and uh, presentations is awesome. It's got a hour documentary 
about science fictions from the 50s, and they, they interview Spielberg, Lucas, Cameron, and Ridley Scott uh, basically throughout the whole documentary. It's basically them for the documentary. Uh, so it's worth that. They have some behind-the-scenes stuff that wasn't used and a couple other things, too. So it's a pretty good disc, and it's only like 12 bucks or something. Um, Eric? Um, well, I heard this. I uh, heard about this movie because it, its title gets thrown about when talking about classic science fiction. Um, it's probably a movie I would not have watched had Mike not picked it, because um, you guys know how I am with watching older movies. I just tend to not do that. Um, so, um, well, not when yeah. you have stuff like forty-seven meters down out there, <laughs> right? Um, so uh, going into it, I was like, oh, "All right, I'll watch an old sci-fi movie for Mike," um, and I was I was pleasantly surprised because I I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, I was I was shocked at how good the movie looked. Uh, it must be the restoration that they used for the Blu-ray that they have up on uh, iTunes. Um, oh, sure. Because the movie looks just fantastic for something that was made in '56. I was really shocked uh, by it. Um, I was also kind of tickled at the during the opening credits when they uh, noted it was done in Eastman color. Um, for those that don't, I know this because I grew up in Rochester, right down the, the street from the George Eastman house. George Eastman is the guy that founded Kodak. Um, so before they before they started labeling cameras. things. But yeah, right. <laughs> before they started and labeling film. everything as Kodak, it was uh, apparently Eastman color. So that kind of made me giggle because I, I seriously like uh, my my parents actually helped found the Chamber Music Society for Rochester, um, New York, and uh, they used to actually have their concerts in the George Eastman House. So I spent quite a bit of time there uh, where he used to live. So just seeing Eastman on the screen gave me a warm fuzzy um uh, for folks who don't know uh the actual full name of kodak and has pretty much always been is called the eastman kodak company yes yeah but it, nobody says it that way <laughs> they just say kodak right. um, and, uh, in case anyone's wondering no relation to the guy who made the teenage ninja turtles <laughs> right that's true um so i i generally like the movie um I had a little trouble with the animated effects. Uh, I understand it was made a long time ago, and they were they were great at the time, but look a little cheesy now. Um, uh, the practical effects, on the other hand, in this movie are just <laughs> out of this world. Um, I, I, I doubt no they could do them, I, I doubt they could do them better today. Um, the one that Phil mentioned, and some of the other ones later on in the movie. I don't want to go into spoiler territory yet, uh, but they're they're really just phenomenal. Um, I'd like to know how they did them. So, uh, yeah, great effects. Uh, I was not a fan of the score. Um, I could use a little variation, um, maybe some non-electronic instruments, but I understand they were going for something unique, and they certainly got that. Um, so, yeah, I like this movie. Uh, I'm glad I got to check it off my list. Um, probably not going to watch it again, <laughs> but I'm glad I did. <laughs> uh, did you buy it or rent it, Eric? I rented it. Very good, very good. How much was it renting, you know? Mm, like four bucks. Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> yep. uh, this is a MGM Studio production. All right. So, and, uh, uh, oh, never mind. That's spoiler. No, please. 
Please. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a spoiler. Yep. Okay. Okay. So, uh, Eric, do we have a wiki? Wiki, wiki. <laughs> Uh, a starship crew goes to investigate the silence of a planet's colony, only to find two survivors and a deadly secret that one of them has. All right, that's that's good. A, a little too much on the the deadly yeah, secret, yeah, but, but but generally good. Yeah, I mean, I w- I went in blind when I saw the film, and I didn't know what. The, the I guess the the secret was until right. until uh, near the end and right. and they don't give you too many clues they have one clue where where a guy a character is sleeping at one point and and then he wakes up and something happens but but generally yeah yeah so that's all right fair enough anyway um, I guess we can get into uh, anything we want to talk about that isn't related to spoilers first um, so. Uh, Leslie Nielsen, huh? he, besides the hair, he looks identical from the incident. I was having trouble recognizing him, to be honest. I, like, I, I knew which character he was. I was like, that doesn't look like Leslie Nielsen to me. And oh, then really? there, were, there were occasional, it depends on the shot, uh, yeah. and the angle of the shot. Because there was like one where he's sitting down at a desk, and I think it's got kind of a higher angle. And I could totally say, and I could, maybe his, his face was a little bit more furrowed. Like mm-hmm. His brow was furrowed. And so I'm like... And and there I saw Frank Drebin. I'm like, okay, there's there's Leslie Nielsen. Um, and there are others, you know, where where it was a the little voice, less right? obvious. Hmm? Right, right. The, the voice though, the voice, right, right. It's, it's pretty standard. Same, same. Uh, yeah, voice. again. And part of me, I got to be honest. And I, I know Leslie Nielsen is long, no longer with us. But part of me, when I was watching this, almost wished they would have reshot some of the film with Leslie Nielsen in like 1995, <laughs> because. His characters always in his comedies were very straight laced, right? They were never in on the joke, right? And a lot of it just has to do and 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 this is '50s science fiction dialogue. It is a little corny at, at times, and you could totally see, like the scene where he's flirting with the daughter. You could totally see this sort of being played a bit for laughs, and look, I love the film, but it's just a weird thing in my mind that I kind of wish I could have seen just to see him play later Leslie goofball Nielsen playing the same, same role. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and that, that's the thing is that, is that uh, most of us who've seen this film probably had seen Nielsen as a comedic actor before they actually saw this film, at least the younger people. And oddly, we're not young anymore, but, um, you know, when, when Nielsen was doing the naked guns and airplanes and all that stuff, uh, that's probably the first time we all saw him before we even saw this film. Oh yeah, uh, I totally saw this after Airplane. I know that. Yeah. I don't know if I and and probably after Police Squad, which was the TV series that ended up inspiring Naked Gun. Yeah. Um, but I don't, don't know if I saw um, if I ended up seeing this before or after Naked Gun came out. Probably before. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's. Airplane was a strange film because, like Peter Graves, who always played tough guys, villains, or, or the or the hero, and he played was comedic in, in Airplane too. And then you have to break through that when you see his older films. Just as same with with Nielsen here. Um, Lloyd Bridges. So, yeah. Was that Lloyd Bridges? Was another one? 
Yeah, Lloyd Bridges is another one from that film too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but that's, that's not the movie we're here to talk about. No, no, no it's a great movie though. Like I, I watched that movie for the first time in in probably a couple decades, uh, a couple years ago, and I had yeah. totally forgotten the whole bit about a drinking problem. So I was just I was I was like almost in tears every time he was throwing water on himself. I could not stop laughing. At oh, that's that's been a long running joke. In my in, in in with my friends and and my wife, which is weird because my wife didn't know my friends before she knew me, so it just like rolled right over. It never it never went away. <laughs> anyway, as as uh, Mike or Eric said earlier, we're we're actually sp- talking about Forbidden Planet, but um, maybe that airplane will be a, an episode in the future. Uh, I, so I haven't seen that for like fifteen years. So I probably got to watch that again. Um, but either way. Um, uh, yeah, so Walter Pigeon, um, yeah, he was uh, a big, big actor at that time, like huge. So it, uh, and yet, you know, he's one of the forgotten actors nowadays. Uh, if you're not a, he's, a movie, he's got, he, he's one of those guys on the Hollywood Walk of Fame where people go, who? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, like, like, like my mother and father. I mean, when it, my mother knew him, like almost all his films. So, you know, for someone her age. Uh, at the time when I saw this, you know, Pigeon was, was someone that you always knew. So, um, but yeah, I mean, for younger folks, this is probably the only film they ever saw him in. I've seen him in a number of films myself. I've seen him in Mrs. Miniver, which is like one of my favorite films of all time. And he was the star of that. And so because of that film, I always thought he was English because, because that takes place in England. But yeah, he's not. He's a like American Canadian. Um so he was big, and then obviously Robbie the robot. I mean, he's he's an icon, um, even more so as uh, more so than just sci-fi, because almost everybody, even if you haven't seen sci-fi stuff with him, know, pretty much knows who Robbie the robot is. At least our age. I don't know about right. younger folk. And he is, um, uh, you know, we talk, joke about Chekhov's gun. He's Chekhov's robot because I'm pretty sure it was a Chekhov play that gave us the term robot, right? Um, but he's like the first robot in cinema that had a, uh, um, that was a per that was a personality. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and I mean, a little bit of him, it's funny again, I was, cause I was, uh, reminded of another movie recently and it made me think of that is a little bit of him reminds me of John Gilgood and Arthur. Um, you know, oh, yeah. he just could be a little sassier, but, um, yeah, but he's, so he's the first robot that's a character as opposed to, you know, you know, Mecha Godzilla. You know, he's not right, he's right, not right. a not a killing yeah. machine. Well, right, and right. and I have to say, um, <laughs> I, I'm just going to get there before Phil does. Uh, when when Anne Francis showed up on screen, uh, my jaw hit the floor because um, I was not expecting that. Because like <laughs> like up till that point in the movie, like it's all men and they're all wearing like full length bodysuits. Uh, you know, not like their hands and their face are uncovered and that's it. Uh, so they're all, they're, they're all standing around in these suits talking. And then Anne Francis comes prancing in, in this miniskirt that barely covers the goodies. <laughs> I was just like, Whoa, hello. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently I was reading up on the trivia for this movie. Apparently this film was banned in Spain for a number of years because of that. It is a short, short skirt. 
it is kind of funny. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Um, it's weird watching it. Um, in this particular era, uh, because it is very much of its time, right? So mm-hmm. I, so one, so on the one hand, like they talk about how men and men and women are exploring the stars, right? In the in the opening voiceover narration. So yep. that is actually like for 1956. That is actually fairly you know progressive of them. Mm-hmm. They talk about. How um, Mor- uh, Morpheus's wife, wait, Morpheus or Morbius? Morbius. Morbius's wife was a uh, biochemist, and um, the daughter is talking about all the stuff that she's educated in, a lot, you know, which was a lot of like heavy scientific stuff. So, again, fairly progressive, but like not a single woman on the crew. Um, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you see the graves of the previous crew that had died, every one of them has a cross, so they're all Christian. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And not a single person that is a lighter shade than perhaps uh, Italian, maybe on a darker <laughs> shade or other time, on, on on this on this film. So um, it is what it is. That is that is a product of its time. Um, you know, I don't. It's it's not a film that I would say is overtly, you know, let's say you know racist or homophobic or whatever. And certainly, by the way, there's a lot of scenes that play really badly today um in terms of uh sex and sexual permission and and so forth yeah at one point uh leslie nielsen basically tells uh Anne francis that dressing like she does she has it coming uh, and it's like mm-hmm. <laughs> well there's th- there's that there's the fact that she's a little turned on by that <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, she's, she's, well, but I mean, it kind of makes well, sense. She's that not, she might... she, that's not really true. She's not turned on. She, she's clueless because she doesn't understand the different, the, the quote unquote war of the sexes or, or the urges of the right. sexes. So she, she's not turned on it at all. She's like, cool. She goes, what's the big deal? What are you talking about? I don't understand. No, but she, but she like obviously has chemistry with him because if she gets mad at him for scolding her, but then the next yeah. thing you know is that she's dressing up for him. Right. You know, and she's excited by him where the other option was, I guess the first officer who totally exploits her naivete. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, it's, an, and it's, a, and if, you know, if I was the defense counsel here, I would argue <laughs> that, that she didn't do anything she was unwilling to do. You know, she there. You know, there was there was clearly permission there to 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 some degree, but you know, she was just so clueless in the ways of of men and women. You know, having only lived with her father for twenty years or nineteen years, um, that she was you know ripe for plucking, right? Um, and the guy was a bit of a dink. Ripe for what? Ripe for plucking. You know the oh for, oh, oh okay, plucking p. With a P. <laughs> I, I, I really didn't think about how that sounded at first. <laughs> I, I understood exactly what you said, so it didn't bother me. So, so I, did I. I. I was just trying to embarrass him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and in the end, of course, she's she's happy to run off with her man. Um, so, yeah, it's like you, if you try to view it in a frame of 2020, it isn't going to come out that great. 
Yeah, if, if you if you frame it into 2020, it would be on the street burning with everything else, probably. Right. I mean, you and and you know, there are some people who don't, and if that's gonna if that's gonna bother you, um, okay, um, I, I'm not gonna fault you. Um, speaking as someone who is um, a a heterosexual white male, uh, it doesn't hit me the same way. Just is. Um, I, I think this is. I don't think anybody watched this film and said, "What I love about this film is the way they treat that woman." Um, this, this is a film. It's about ideas, and you can make the same film today, and you could gender swap and race swap, and you know every every character and make almost no difference. You you uh, you were breaking up a little bit, but basically, I I think the point you were trying to get up there was uh, it the the genders and races are irrelevant to any of the story of this movie. Right. Right. And okay. they could be, they could have been swapped out with uh a more diverse 2020 cast uh if if they had made the film today. Uh, I think and that's it wouldn't even true. matter. You could right, have right. the same story. And right. they have they have for years been trying to remake this. Um, at one point, James Cameron was attached. That was about 15 years ago. And then a little bit after that, uh, J. Mike Straczynski, who uh, did Babylon 5, was attached to it. And that's unusual because he was really good friends with Harlan Ellison, who they, they, the science fiction author. And Ellison basically told them to go fuck themselves when they asked him to write a, write a remake of the film. Um, <laughs> he's, he, he said, I mean, really what he said was... He he said, "I won't write you a, um, I won't do a remake, but I will totally write a, uh, a, a like a prequel or a sequel. He will write a follow up to the, the to the film mm-hmm. because there's so much there that could be explored. Mm-hmm. But he was not going to do a, uh, but he absolutely refused to to touch the the original. And I, you know, this is a case where I think there is a lot you could do with it. And I would love for people to go back." You know, even as dated as it is, it's just interesting to watch from a historical perspective. Well, I think you know, this, the, this just enjoying the way they they made this using old school um, effects that were state of the art at the time. They, they um, could they could make a, a prequel easily, right? Uh, uh, Morbius's landing and and the discovery of the stuff, and, and then uh, all hell breaks loose. So that 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 could be an interesting. Uh, story, I think, you know. Yeah. Um. All right, so uh, we got all that out of the way uh, of any political incorrectness that anybody has about this film or any film from the 1950s. Uh, I think we we can move on. Um. But yes, I, I have to agree with Erica. Anne Francis is uh, was uh, obviously cast for the role because she is a very attractive young actress at the time. Um. And um, she actually plays it well for someone that was born to uh, a family where the mother dies young and no one else is on the planet except her and the father and and how she's completely clueless. And it's interesting, too, is that she, her character isn't just naive. She also doesn't see any evil in humanity or trickster in humanity or any of that stuff in humanity. So when... Uh, the first mate of the ship uh, is flirting with her and says kissing will uh, is a is a good thing for the health and whatever. She just assumes it makes sense because she doesn't know that people can be uh, devious liars. 
Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, because she 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 thinks people are generally good uh, because she hasn't lived with them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, anyway, uh, let's see what else uh, did we want to bring up that was uh, uh, not spoilery. Spoilery? Anything? Well, I do want to say for those of you, uh, I I sent this to you on Facebook. For anyone who is a fan of the. <clears throat> classic 1970s science fiction actor adventure series, The Six Million Dollar Man. Uh, Richard Anderson, who played Oscar Goldman, was the communication officer in this and in one of his first roles. Um, and there was, I guess, also the actor, I'm trying to like blanking on his name, for those fans of the completely politically correct 1970s and early 80s uh, action TV series, The Dukes of Hazard. Uh, the actor who played um, the actor who played Roscoe P. Coltrane, the ask the actor who played Sheriff Roscoe P. Coltrane was one of the crewmen on the on the film. So no, no, just no, just no. a little you're, bit of trivia. You're you're seeing her on this Roscoe P. Coltrane. That would be it. Yes, I can't say that without hurting myself. <laughs> yeah, you can blow a, a a vessel in the brain or something. All right, so uh, that's some interesting trivia, actually. Um, all right, so I guess we'll throw up the James spoiler Best, alert. James Best, was it? James Best. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I'll throw up the spoiler alert, and uh, so we can discuss everything and anything, because uh, there's a couple of big twists, obviously, in the film, and uh, some pretty cool build-up to uh, that twist. And then... Uh, uh, the reveal is pretty impressive too to figure out what what's going on and 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 I think more importantly or more interesting is why it goes on and how uh, a, a, an alien race actually could have the same problem as us. Um, anyway, uh, all right, so let's do that. Let's uh, throw up the spoiler and so we will begin. So it's basically um, this search and rescue ship or, or, not, or I, don't, I don't know if it's really a search and rescue ship but it's a group of like 26 guys uh, average age of 24 weren't, weren't they points. supposed to take over yeah that, yeah that's right they were they were the relief yeah, yeah, yeah that's the relief right they were the relief yeah. yeah so they haven't heard back uh this big ship that's probably had like 200 people flew to this planet and um set up we're gonna set up base there and then this is the relief but they haven't heard back from the ship for like 20 years or maybe 30 years and so when they get there they don't find any cities or developments on the planet so they're wondering what's going on but then they notice that they are being tracked on radar so they know something's down there and then there's a voice mail that's uh, a voice repeating that basically says uh turn around we don't uh need any relief and so on and so forth um so captain i warn you do not come down to this planet right um and and that uh, again repeating the the influence you could totally see the same exact scene as scripted playing out on uh the opening of uh of of star trek just a couple years later Right, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Twelve years later, or whatever, thirteen years later. Um, so, 
they say no we're we're coming down we you know our we have orders and we we have to at least come down and whatever so please give us coordinates and so they get coordinates and it's in a desert part of the 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 land uh not desert like in the the world we know it uh but like a rocky mars type desert um and that's pretty much the the setup of the film right there and it, and Oh, go on, Mike. Yeah. I was gonna say, do you think they've put that in the the NASA training manual now? Just the the you know what? When you get a message, don't come to my planet. Don't, don't go to the don't, planet. Don't don't go. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, people are stupid. I mean, Even, scientists are the stupidest of all because they're the ones that will go, oh look, an alien being. Let's let's look at it or, or let them know where we are and then they can come and then of course they kill us all. It was but, a science I mean, officer Leslie, that was keeping the alien alive, an alien. Well, look, Leslie Nielsen. Leslie Nielsen has an excuse. This is like the first of its kind. He didn't know any better. True. Maybe True. Shatner had an excuse, but by now, you damn well better know when you get a message yeah. saying "Don't come down to my planet." You listen. You don't, yeah, because you're you're gonna get some red shirts killed. That's true. Yep. Uh, so uh, when they land, um, he, they, I, I'm impressed with the script. They said, yeah, we don't need uh, space equipment or space suits or anything because this is a planet that has been already determined to be okay. So that was good that they got all that out of the way. And, um, and when they land, uh, in the distance, they see a dust storm coming, and it's actually a vehicle. Yeah, which I think I don't know how they did that, but I'm pretty sure it was just like looked like somebody was pulling something along in the background because mm-hmm. um, it's all shot in camera. I think on the set, right? That, yeah, it has to be a practical effect because oh yeah, they yeah. totally do fake dust then. <laughs> oh, oh for, uh, for the mo- by the way, uh, the, car, the the thing that you had a problem with, Eric, mm-hmm. with uh, the monster effects was actually mm-hmm. done by Walt Disney Studios. I know. It was an artist on loan from Disney Studios. That's great. <laughs> anyway, well, um, and, and, and apparently the movement of the creature uh, were, were based on the uh, the MGM lion at the beginning of the logo. <laughs> That's awesome. I do mention I didn't know. I, I never knew before. In reading up on, I guess they do give the creature a goatee to give you a clue, but you actually. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's only one character in the film with a goatee, and it's not the daughter, um, <laughs> you know, and so that's just to give you that connection. Um, there is definitely a lot of like I, I you know, a lot of that exp- uh, expository dialogue, you know, explaining to the crew now that we've now that we have arrived at our destination, I'm going to tell you it's safe to breathe air here. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, just kind of wondering like, was this when they were sitting around, you know, playing poker? Was this a a a conversation that they were at. Do you think we'll be able to breathe when we get there? I don't know. Nobody's telling well, us. Well, that's, that's, that's why I brought that up. I said, even though it is a, a, a silly way of exposition, at least they yeah. wrote it in the script to get it passed. So the, us, the, the science piece, people who would say that's stupid. I'll die from germs. will will immediately say, uh, oh, okay. So it's already been cleared the planet. We, we don't have to worry about that. Well, also but, keep in mind that there wasn't like the further back you go, the newer sci-fi is to people who are watching it. Um, So people in 1956 uh, probably didn't think like us. Oh God, I hope not. 
Well, well. Also, <laughs> War of the Worlds was pretty popular at that time, and that movie came out, and everybody knows how that happened—the ending of that film, mm. which is germs kill alien beings. And so, I think maybe they added that in here because there would be people who just came off of War of the Worlds and say that's stupid. Everybody will be dead from germs. But I'm just guessing. This is just hypothesis based off of uh, the time period and the two movies being pretty close to each other. Well, little things like them pointing out the green sky, um, which is not, which, but again, it's sort of the thing like maybe they, you know, they're probably like, we maybe need to explain this to the audience that we, we just didn't have shitty, you know, a shitty, uh, color timing on this film. You know, that's intended to be green. Mm Um, all, you know, little things like that. Um, you know, they do explain, you do get some, uh, live animals uh showing up and you know they they come up with an explanation a different explanation i guess in the there was a a, uh maybe from the original story i guess the original story was that the animals were created the same way the monster was uh because when the uh because i think one of the monkeys dies and they open it up and they realize it probably never should have been alive in the first place because the organs aren't there um so there's so there's some stuff, but see here they they excuse there being earth animals by saying that the the krell, the alien race that had lived there before, um, had visited Earth and apparently brought four types of animals back with them or something, you know, just uh right. but they have deer, they have lions, and they have monkeys. Um but it's basically so that oh, we it was actually feel... actually ti- tigers, not lions. Oh right, tiger, sorry. Um I, I don't know why they did it why they included them necessarily other than maybe just so it's not so creepy to have the woman there all alone. Um, well, <laughs> I think it's specifically to show the animal. It was one of the Chekhov's guns in the film, which is when the, the tiger freaks out and tries to kill them. And she's confused. Like the tiger has always been my friend. And then they say, well, it's in their nature, you know, and you just don't understand because you don't, haven't seen what tigers are in, in the real world, meaning Earth. So I think that was a hint about it's in their nature, meaning the humans have the id that we're going to talk about soon. Um, same principle that the tiger's nature is to kill uh, for for territory and for food. And well, she's, I think you know a predator basically. Well, I think it's a twofold convergence. It's a Chekhov's convergence here because. Previously to this, Man, we have seen Chekhov's the tiger. Busy. Yes, he's named the robot. Now, now we get Chekhov's laser gun <laughs> because we had seen the laser gun earlier in the episode, and so now it comes into play here, so it can shoot the tiger. And then, of course, it's going to come into play later on in the episode because it's going to end up being completely useless. And now the episode in the uh, we're not talking Westworld here later on the, the the film, and then of course the the tiger, you know, is introduced and we see it's harmless. Then we get the the it's becomes dangerous later on to tell us that you know something about the planet has changed and you know it foreshadows the danger to the rest of the the cast um in case you didn't know from the title of the film right forbidden planet good point originally called fatal planet and they realized it probably wouldn't sell as well i think they made the right choice even though if we're going to be honest the planet is anything but forbidden you know, well, actually, it does. You say you can't come land on here, and then they do it anyway. They might have sold more tickets. They called it Miniskirt Planet. 
That they probably could have. Oh, murder. Yes. That is true, Eric. That is true. Um, they, but though though the movie poster pretty much shows the miniskirt, so it's, it's a good movie poster. One of the okay. better movie posters. Yeah, you should check out the 1956 movie poster for it. It's actually on the... Uh, pretty famous once you see it. I actually got a, a T-shirt of it. I bought it at a, a horror convention, uh, Scares Scarecon, with Mike. As a matter of fact, gotcha. yeah. Um, so, um, Robbie comes, and then then does he bring them to Morbius? <laughs> yeah, I think he, sorry, Mor- I'm, I'm I'm looking at the poster that you told me to, and Robbie the robot is in the credits. That's oh, himself. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Introducing Robbie the robot. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, but it is a pretty cool poster. Yeah, it's the typical, uh, you know, uh, pulp stuff from from the days beyond of of one, Wonder Year, I guess. Um, <laughs> all right. So, what do we want to talk about? Where do, do we want to go? Where do we want to go? Where do we want to uh, go? I I just want to I was circle back around. You mentioned it briefly. Pre spoiler. Uh, but I, I, I'm really curious. I want to know how they did those footprint effects. Cause that was really impressive. It <laughs> I was is like, awesome. Whoa, that's cool. <laughs> I, I, I would, I would guess, and this is a guess, but that they would have done like the invisible man thing where they, you know, build a raised platform with loose dirt in it and have the foot like pre-cut into the platform. And then they just pull it down and the, the dirt sinks. Right. In the shape mm, of the foot. Okay. That would be my guess. But then they did the stairs too, which was pretty cool. <laughs> which, oh, which I did. Cool. Which, which it's always funny that there were rubber stairs. Because, <laughs> right. cause, you know, um, I'm assuming this is a metal ship, but I, you uh-huh. know what? Maybe it's for safety purposes, you know, so that if somebody trips and falls, it is a Leslie Nielsen film after all, um, trips and falls and bounces down the stairs, you know, they'll just not hurt anything. Well, I think it was supposed to be bending metal, but then it bends back when the when it takes the its foot off. Oh, yeah, you're right. So it, it's it's space technology. <laughs> it's memetic metal. It's, metal. It's adamantium. So somebody used that word at one point. I think it was Morbius so said said something about adamantium steel. I was like adamantium. They were talking about adamantium in the fifties. Uh, what <laughs> is adamantium? Dragon thing. Adamantium. What is that? It's it's supposed to be a super hard metal. It, it's 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 the one they use a lot in Marvel Comics. Oh yeah, it is adamantium. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's, Marvel but it's, Comics. Yeah. But I think it's been used elsewhere. I don't think they created it. I think they just had their own spin on it. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I, I have no idea where it originated. The first time I heard about it was in was in D and D. If it was in Marvel Comics, that was probably pre that. But here it is in 1956, and if this wasn't the first time, then where the hell did it come from? That's a research project. It came yeah. from Area 47. <laughs> sorry, um, 1947, Area 51. 47 yeah, was the year yeah. of the crash. I, yeah. I knew what you meant. Um, okay. So, uh, and other practical effects in this movie that I really enjoyed was, was, was at the end when the door is melting. That was oh, impressive. God. That was awesome, wasn't it? I have yeah. no idea how they accomplished that. Yeah, unless it's real, real metal, and and they just like fast f- forward the, the film, you know, super speed film, right. or or they might have just used you know like foam rock or something, or uh, 
but some, plastic but some, or something that, but, that they could, could do it with. And a lot of it, I'm sure, was done with rear projection. Um, you know, a lot of it seemed to have been or done with, uh, um, you know, where you've got the image on the, on the back and the, the actors walking in front of the footage. Um, and a lot of, it, like you said, a lot of matte painting stuff. Um, and then you had the, the backdrop, the whole set, right? The was impressive. The, uh, well, everything was great. And, and really the only thing in the movie that didn't look real were, were the animated effects, which is pretty much, uh, when they're shooting, um, uh, all, all the lasers are animated, um, and of course when they're shooting the creature, it lights the creature up and that's animated. Um, and then like when Robbie the robot shorts out, um, the purple electricity is animated, but, but like other than those parts of the movie, like all the other effects look super convincing and I was very impressed. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think the animation really bothered me that much because a lot of the films, I had been watching, like, when I first saw this film, this was probably, like, in the 80s or, or maybe late 70s, probably the 80s, um, that type of special effect was still really impressive. Nowadays, you know, you know, we, we have CGI and all this other stuff. So I guess because you, maybe if you had seen it back when me and Mike first saw it, Eric, oh, no, I, say, I, I realize yeah, that. I'm, yeah. I'm comparing it to what's available now. Yeah. And, yeah, and you're sure. right. For the time, it was very impressive. Um, yeah. You know, it's just you know, it's it's like when you go back and watch uh, one of the one of the old movies that you used to love. Like, um, what's a good example? Uh, bed knobs and broomsticks. They used to play bread knobs and broomsticks every year at my elementary school, um, and like that now looks silly, <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's just like as 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 some effects age, they don't look as good as they used to. Uh, but sometimes, I mean, the, the, basically what it comes down to is older animation effects don't hold up great, uh, but good practical effects do. And it's the same thing with the thing from 1982, right? There's that yeah. one animated part where the chest opens up that looks a little cheesy these days, but everything else, all the practical effects in that movie are, are rock solid still. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, that's fair here because I mean, Robbie, the robot, is, is still uh, fantastic even for today. That robot lo- looks pretty solid. Um, I mean, it's a and, kind of a dumb looking robot, but <laughs> but it, it, as far as me being convinced that it's a functional robot, yes. Oh yeah, and it, it cost <laughs> a, it, it cost them a ton to make. Oh, it cost um, like a million and a half dollars or something crazy. It was it was a huge part of the budget, but just look at all the you know the detail. You know, they have the, the gyroscopes going around inside the skull and not the skull, the the dome and the, you know, around you know, the the levers and stuff moving around. And you still have to have room for a real functioning human being in there to be moving it all around. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's and given how early this was in robot history, um, he is clearly going on Mount Rushmore when the artificial intelligences take over. Um, all hail our robot leaders all hail, hail our future robot overlords um he, he is definitely going to go up there on on rushmore is one of the first um but yeah yeah it's, it's a very very impressive effect yes yeah and what was the the robot from uh lost in space what's his name b88 it something? was just robot i think well i think it had a robot they just usually called it robot Right, right, yeah. It was, it was like B eighty eight or something. I, I forget. 
but um, that was obviously a copy of, of Robbie the Robot. Um, yeah. Well, it's the same designer. It was. Yeah. It's 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 got some similarities, but it's also very different in terms of you know like the yeah. position of the arms is the same, but the way the arms work is different. The the lower torso is different. It has a clear dome, but a completely different clear dome. So yeah, you can definitely see the influence. And he yeah, actually B- does B- make an appearance apparently B-9. in the original. You know, he does make an appearance in a, a three episodes of Lost in Space. Probably not as the same character because oh, yeah, know, continuity did, was yeah. not a thing back then. Right. Um, but yeah, Robbie got right. They put their money into him and they made sure Robbie got around to get their money's worth. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it became, I, Rock I, the robot's a slut. Yeah. 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 There was a, a convention I went to uh, in New Hampshire uh, last year, and and they had a Robbie the Robot there, and he, and B and B B uh, nine as well, and uh, they were pretty impressive. And you could talk to them, but they didn't want you to touch them because they they cost a lot, even even the replicas. I bet. Yeah. Um, and they did talk back. It was kind of cool. You could ask them questions, and they, they spoke back. Um, <laughs> So, uh, what else do we want to talk about? Let's talk about Mobius and uh, his story. So, he said that everybody died from some nefarious uh, thing on the planet. No one idea what it was. And He says something uh, like because they were afraid of the planet or they rejected it. Or it, it was like the idea was he embraced the planet. <laughs> He loved his planet overlord and they didn't. And that's why they ended up being killed. It was some weird right. bullshit explanation. It was kind of like, all right, you were hired to fly a ship. You were not hired to be an investigator, clearly. And, and so they all get wiped out. Women, children, men. Uh, the spaceship was, was heading back to Earth because some people said they wanted to leave. And uh, he didn't want to leave, so he stayed back. But the spaceship blew up in the middle of the air. And so the last three survivors, they died too. And then him and his wife, uh, who he married after they took off. So he wasn't married on Earth. They were married in space. Uh, He and his wife had a child. And then his wife died also. But she died of natural causes, not from whatever was causing the deaths of everybody else. And since then, um, there's been no problems on the planet. Um, and that's pretty much it. Uh, that's, that's his backstory, right? I mean, I don't think there was anything else. Anyone? No, I think that's, that's it. Right. Um, all right. So, uh, what do you want to talk about next? Uh, do we want to talk about, uh, the monster more and what it does? Do we want to talk about the big twist? Do we want to talk about, well, let's get into this because the whole twist here is that, um, I mean, there was a subplot about the captain and the daughter getting it on, and that's a that's a that's a that ends up being a major part of the story. Um, but the secret that Morbius is keeping, and the reason they've been able to survive, is that you know he's found this under the the, the, the remains of this ancient civilization that's been gone for like a million years. Um, but and uh, but these underground installations have, have survived. And they're they're self-maintaining, so they're still running. Um, and it is a civilization called the Krell. They're supposed to be, you know, a million years more advanced than humanity is. 
which still probably isn't saying a whole lot. Um, and he's basically enjoying the fruits of their, their technology and he's trying to teach himself that technology. And they, they have, a a scene where he's using, um, like showing like what he thinks is a, like a grade school toy to measure intelligence. And, you know, he can basically get it up to like where their seven year olds would be. And, you know, the crew member, the, the captain and the doctor can barely make the thing budge. Um, but it's also revealed that he used it to give himself a boost of intelligence so he can better comprehend what they have to teach us. Right. Right. And, uh, the, the crew, um, the science officer. So I guess the McCoy, um, he says he has a 161 IQ and he, he barely could move the, the, the little thing on that toy. And um, Morbius then mentions the reason he could go much higher is, like you said, he was able to boost the machine, knocked him out when he put it on, like, full power, and he was in a coma for, like, a week or something. And then when he woke up, uh, he was healthy, but his IQ had risen, and because of that, he decided to continue doing research, even though um, it could... He, it could be lethal to, to humans, and that's why he recommends if any that the, the crew and the science officer don't don't necessarily try it because they could die too, or, or could possibly die. Period. Right. He claims the captain died from it, uh, um, and yeah, and it, yeah, they, and he he almost did, uh, but said it like doubled or triples his intelligence, and so that's how he's able to learn, figure out how to build Robbie. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, clearly didn't boost his creativity because Robbie the robot, really? Um, the best he could do? <laughs> well, he's he's cool. Rob, Robbie's cool. Like yeah, Robbie's I mean, cool. I'm just did. saying, you know, that it's that's like a the you know you know the the, the child with a pet mouse who names it Mickey. Um, <laughs> oh, you you're saying the the name? I'm, well, well, he, I'm yeah, saying actually, it's just the, the name. Yes, yeah, maybe well, the daughter well, named him. Maybe the daughter named him. I'm going to go with that. The daughter named him when she was yeah she was a little girl yeah 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 uh, I did I did like when the uh, well Phil was was mentioning he didn't like the the uh, comic relief with the cook um, uh, well, the, that was that was a, that was that was a studio note by the way Phil <laughs> what, what the, stu- the studio was like this movie's too serious put a put a funny character in it uh, <laughs> and if, and as we all know if you've watched enough movies from that time. Uh, and earlier, that if you have a, a a movie set on a ship, the comedic character has to be the cook. Right, right. But I uh, I did I laughed out loud because I just like because of what had happened in the movie so far, I was not expecting this kind of humor. Um, but when uh, the cook asked Robbie to make him some more whiskey, and he takes the bottle and dumps it into himself and goes analyzing, blah. <laughs> I lost it. I just was not expecting the robot to belch. It fucking cracked me up. I, lo- I loved how the cook freaked out too. He goes, "Hey, what are you doing?" Because he's, he took the rest of his booze and it's all gone. Right. He goes, "I could open you up. I got to open you up like a, a, a with a what was that? Can opener? Because um, he wants to get the booze again." But the, the joke was is that the cook 
you know, because they can make their robot is also the cook for Morbius and can make synthetic food and basically any type of food through chemicals and whatever. And so the cook is smart enough to say, hey, could you make uh, 60 gallons of this whiskey that I have here? I just need it for cooking. Well, it's just like, you know, it's just, can you make more? And then the robot volunteers at 60 gallons and he's completely flabbergasted. That's going to be 60 right. gallons. Yeah, it's like, will 60 gallons be sufficient? And he's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and he goes, I just want it for cooking. I don't, you know, that's all. You know, And it's, it's like, yeah, okay, just for cooking. Um, yeah, so that was that was pretty pretty solid. I thought, you're right, that was funny. I, you know what it is? I just didn't think, I just felt that he was too dumb, the character, I guess. Not because he was kind of... Yeah, he was kind of dumb. But, you know, but yeah. like, the, the studio forced the character into the movie for what it's worth. And it feels like it. And now that you mention it, because I mean, there's the one scene where he's relevant, where he really interacts with the rest of the crew, right? Because when he's getting dressed down, right yeah. after after, mm-hmm. after someone's mm-hmm. murder, yeah, because they, because they think Robbie may be the murderer, right? So they're dressing him down, right? Because he keeps on saying um, he was saying that he was with Robbie during the murders, right? And he was he got drunk because you know he got all the booze, and so. They said, uh, so um, are you sure Robbie was with you the whole time? Because, you know, you were drunk. He goes, well, well, well Captain, I, I, it takes like three hours to get drunk the way I got drunk. So, <laughs> yeah, believe me, he was with me that whole three yeah. hours. So, oh, yeah what, yeah, what are you thinking of me if I, I got drunk in just five minutes? Yeah, it's, um, it's uh, yeah, but, but it's like, otherwise, that's the only place that storyline ever comes back into play. Right. You never hear about the booze again. Um, you know, they're never nobody else is going to Robbie and exploiting him like, you know, uh, the movie we reviewed on Dark Discussions called The Room, where everybody gets, hey, they got their little robot able to make them whatever they want. Um, there's a, a throwaway line when she, uh, the daughter is asking uh, uh, Robbie to make her a new dress. <laughs> I says, oh, and I want I need Star Sapphire. It's going to take weeks to make Star Sapphires. I have. With diamonds instead. Uh, yeah, would you like rather diamonds, diamonds and emeralds? Diamonds and emeralds. I can give them to you in five, ten, or fifteen carats. It's like <laughs> right, ready to go. Right, that was awesome. Um, yeah. So again, by the which, of course, uh, I don't know if they were thinking of this at the time, but certainly as a precursor to again going back as a Star Trek and the the replicator, right? The, the eliminating the need for uh, for all sorts of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Just, just tell the computer make this, and it makes it. Yep. Right. Well, but, but you know what? Bringing talking about these little comic reliefs now, it's, they actually are pretty good when I think about it. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the emeralds. There was another one. I can't, I can't remember what it was. There was another one that made me guffaw, but I, I, I can't remember. Mm. Yeah, I wonder which one. What's um, a bathing suit? No. Um. Because uh, that that was an obvious one to me. Um, yeah, and again, you know, this is also going back to that era where everything had to be for the whole family. They didn't have adult films. They didn't have. Well, I, mean, I guess they did have Disney movies for kids' films, mm-hmm. um, but you had to have something to keep everybody's intention attention. Right. Oh, uh, the, another the famous line. Uh, you know, do you breathe oxygen? I never touched this the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it makes me rust. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. It promotes <laughs> rust. Yes, yeah, promotes. Oh, rust. I remember what it was that made me laugh. <laughs> it's when uh, 
Robbie was was like watering the plants or something, and and the monkey is fucking around with something on the table and without even turning around. Robbie just like zaps him with a little laser. That oh, made right. me laugh. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, that had some actually pretty funny parts. And uh, even though they have uh, Anne France just uh, very, uh, I guess, scantily dressed for that period, um, it's still you know no big deal because you know you see women like that on on the beach. So um, uh, yeah, it's pretty family fair because they, they had the well, I forget what the the rating system was that was in place at the time, but everything had to be basically pretty close to family fair up until uh, the Hayes code or whatever it was. Yeah, the Hayes code. Yeah, that's yeah. It. yeah. No, no. I, I know I know it's nothing outrageous. It just caught me off guard the way she was dressed compared to everything I'd seen up until that point. I was like, whoa, hello. Yeah. Well, and and it was intentional, obviously. Yeah. 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 Well, and I also like speaking, you know, like the dressing, um and I guess and this is an obviously an aesthetic thing, but I do love because it is all that fifties future, right? Uh yeah. that, that yeah, the retro Jetsons. future, the uh-huh. Jetson stuff that was like very uh that you you watch, you look at it, and you know it's obviously this was when this was designed, but it wasn't like a lot of science fiction films, you know, in that era or TV or whatever, where they're in silver jumpsuits um, with bubble helmets or anything. You know, mm-hmm. everything's actually well designed. It's good. It's, mm-hmm. it's the the sets are great. The 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 map paintings. Oh, and then when when you actually get into the underground with the the oh with yeah, the that's, that's awesome. And, yeah. you know, this is, again, think about it from the view of the, the audience seeing this in theaters for the first time. In CinemaScope, which is a new thing back then, you know, you have these, you know, they're walking through this, these, these massive corridors and, you know, the, and, and machines and stuff like that. The reality is you, you, you could probably take out about 20 minutes worth of, of time in this film if you cut out all the stuff to just go, look at this. Uh-huh. You know, right. it's probably closer to about an hour, hour and ten minute story here. Um, but they're showing off and they have every reason to show off because, you know, they don't just have a pie plate on a string. This isn't an Ed Wood production. Right. Well, and I'll also say that this the there's their ship in this movie. I was a little surprised that uh I don't think I've seen another movie where the human ship looks like your stereotypical UFO. Yeah, the flying saucer, right? Yeah, I, I was a little caught off guard by that when they showed the flying saucer at the beginning. I was like, wait, that's the Earth ship? All right. Uh, <laughs> I know they do it in, it, it is a flying saucer, basically, for the Jupiter 2 in Lost in Space, if I remember correctly. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's the only one, but I... I, I <clears throat> But yeah, it is a rel- relatively unusual, and certainly it uh, becomes cliche at a point. Yeah, but I think what makes it not cliche is what Eric mentioned, which is it's the good guy ship. It's not the the bad guy ship. Well, what I was saying is, like, I you know, there are a couple of others where I think the humans have a flying saucery type ship, right? Like, like Lost not, in Space, but, 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 like Lost in Space, but not many. You know, right. and then and then you know you, you, when you start hiring actual art directors and you know, people to come up with chip designs. They don't want to just go saucer. Right. They want, they want something new. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah. So they bring you, you know, X Wing or right. You know, oh, another good. Yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the uh, what was the ship called? An alien too. I forget that one. I can't remember. The Nostromo. Yeah, Nostromo. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Rob, Robbie, how about, you remember him carrying the the giant blocks and it, and it doesn't it costs it costs no energy to, to pick them up. Yeah, lead two seventeen, which is I thought was weird. Um, <laughs> yeah, lead because two hundred nine is the. Same. I was I, I wanted to look it up to see if it's a radioactive isotope. Apparently not, because it's not one of the four stable isotopes of lead. So apparently it is radioactive. Sorry. Um, whoops, Robbie. Robbie, yeah, this is this is a, no, but this is how the robots take over through passive <laughs> aggressive behavior. <laughs> passive aggressive, exactly. Awesome. Well done. Oh, actually, it's not even coming up as a nice soap of, of lead. So I don't know what the hell. No, but so so have we gotten to the big reveal yet? I don't think we have. Yeah. No, we haven't. Yeah, yeah, and, so and it's, it's a, huge. It's it's a great, great. It, it that's is. That makes, that's what makes this film, even though it has all the great special effects and a pretty good story, it's the twist that that literally blew me away when I first watched the film. So yeah, go ahead, Eric. Sorry. Basically, they figured out that the that all this stuff that the Krell had made, um, uh, allows you to it basically has. Yeah, it has so much, so much energy that it can allow you to create anything. Um, and, and in fact, uh, whatever you're thinking. And so, uh, without knowing it, Dr. Morbius has created the monster of the id. And it's basically this invincible monster that's doing what his subconscious wants. Uh, he's not He's not consciously controlling it, but his thoughts created it, and now it's on the loose. Um, and apparently he just wants to be alone with his family because this, this creature basically kills anybody else around. Yeah. It's, it's basically a really cool concept because basically humans, as we know, um, including ourselves in a, in a way, uh, all have like jealousies, anger, envy, you know, basically the seven sins, you know, whatever mm-hmm. that, that from, and what happens is the crawl just like humans have this problem just as humans do. Mm-hmm. And when they created this great scientific machine, they too forgot their own weaknesses, which is the machine will, if it's going to create stuff from the mind, it will also create the, the envies, the, the greeds, the, you know, the on and on, whatever the seven sins are. So, and that's what most, happened to the crow. Yeah, and so the crow killed themselves because the 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 monsters from their ids of jealousy and anger and all that came out and killed everybody, and so all the crow got killed off because of yeah. it, and they went extinct. Right, and you, I mean, look, I laugh a little bit because you see this in some people <clears throat> in some of the debates that we have, or no debates, not. They don't have debates. The discussions, the uh, they're not even you know, debates. They're just they're, fights. Yeah, right. The arguments. It's like you you clearly do not have as highly evolved uh, a, a belief system as I do. If you don't <laughs> agree with me, I'm going to punch you. 
I'm going to find out where the house is and burn it down. Yeah, and it's, I mean, for those who are not aware, um, you know, this is basic Freudian psychology is that, you know, so you have the id, the ego, the superego. Superego is like your conscience and your rationalization and, and everything, your reasoning. And then your id is your baser instincts. And then your ego is the thing that kind of tries to make the two. It's like mom. It's trying to make the two play nice, you right. know, and, 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 you know, finding a, a path between the two to navigate the real world. Um and yeah, we, we we tend to sometimes forget that. And I do like the fact that they mentioned that the the Krell had to have evolved in, in their world, um, just you know, just as we had. And again, nineteen fifty six, throwing out an evolution reference might have been a little risky. Um so I, I kinda like that. But yeah, you, you do have baser instincts and there they'll always be there and that and this is the the folly, right? The the folly of anybody is that the, the people who become gain such a, a who become so convinced of their righteousness, you know, that they ignore the negative in, uh, impulses they have and end up being consumed by them, and that is literally what happens with the crowd, and, and also with Morbius. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and Morbius as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so Morbius got pissed at. Um, some of the people that he came with wanted to leave or wanted to be the leader or wanted to do this or do that. And his inner id of jealousy, pride, anger, on and on manifested and it killed all the creature people. And he didn't know that because again, he doesn't even know why the people are dying and yet he's the cause of it because he's the one that survived the machine and so he has the power of the crawl and the creatures just appear out of thin air and start killing people. And it's not like he's directing it. He's unconsciously, it's unconsciously doing his whim and he doesn't even know it. So he's not even really evil. It's just that his id has come to life into the material world. And, and that's not a good thing. Right. And no. we all, we all have that. We all have control over it. Hopefully. Yes. But he doesn't, and he's just worried about these men taking off with his daughter. Right. Um, you know, and well, and that ba- that's basically what allows them to figure it out is because the daughter decides she wants to go with with Leslie Nielsen, and Daddy does not like that. Um, and then the monster shows up again, right? And he he does in his defense, right? He acknowledges. That he knows he has to let her go to Earth some at some point to complete her development or something like that. I think is what he says. Mm-hmm. Although I think we'll all agree she looks pretty developed from her. I was saying, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's thirty six, uh, thirty six for sure. Yeah, no, but she she is she is she is emotionally stunted, right, in a way because she is right. uh, she's naive. She has not had interaction with anyone other than her father, and God willing that there were aspects of her life that did not get developed if all she had to do was deal with her father. Um, let's hope. Oh, that was, that was the other thing that made me laugh is when the, when the, when the doof officer is, is trying to trick her, uh, and tell her that kissing is good for her health and, uh, it, it will arouse her. Uh, he starts kissing her and she's just like, I don't, I don't get it. How, how's this supposed to be exciting? <laughs> 
screen. <laughs> I was just like, oh, burn! That, <laughs> <laughs> that man went limp. Uh, <laughs> that was a shot and a half. Oh, yeah. She, she makes a comment, something like, you know, you like, oh, oh like he just seems safe or something like that. And he's like, no, wait. <laughs> Now hold on just a second, right? So she's, you know, because again she's got that more a little bit more of the friction with the captain, and you know, um, so because she's at first aroused because he is classically handsome, not that Leslie Nielsen was was uh, unattractive then. And by the way, but she says, oh, these these are very nice specimens, especially the two on the end. You know, sort of taking the the shot at the doctor unintentionally, mm-hmm. um, who's in the middle. Um, but yeah, and he just gets. All hey, I could be dangerous too. Oh, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, there was there was some good humor in this movie. Yeah, oh, it. Yeah, it and, was and again, it probably was what it was to some degree at the time. Um, you know, you want to get you, you want to get mad at what things were. I guess I understand it, but I it's hard to get mad at the people who were living in it. You know, who were writing and reflecting it right yeah yeah i i'm not complaining about it it's no. just, sometimes it's fun to notice yeah, yeah. oh it's, you know, uh, well yeah you know, yeah yeah i mean i mean you know it's it, it becomes more noticeable as as our uh society evolves i guess but um, <laughs> i don't know if that's the right word <laughs> progresses no uh Moves forward. Uh, ages. Uh, ages. Ages. There we go. Ages. That's good. Even how you describe things, you have to be careful nowadays or you'll be canceled. Um, so, um, yeah, so the humor is, is pretty good. Um, the, yeah, so the monster of the id and, and uh, some uh, Dark Discussions podcast trivia. Uh, the Halloween intro that we use for the podcast, which is, you know, one every fifth episode or so, uh, I use that quote, monsters, John, monsters from the id. <laughs> it was a great quote. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, and then the doctor dies, uh, but he's the one that figures it out because he uses a crawl machine and it kills him. Um, but it makes him Super, super smart. So much smarter than Doctor Morbius, because even as smart as he is, he still has that yes. little bit of ego in him. You know. Right. Well, well, and, and he also figured it out, which is it made him smart to the point where he goes, oh, "The monsters are coming from the id," right? Yeah. And that's why he says it. And then he croaks before he could explain it completely. But it was enough for Nielsen's character to at least have a seed in his mind. And so when he starts, uh, some other things begin to happen. He, he figures it out what he meant with the monsters from the id. Cause he then asked Morbius what the id means. And, and Morbius starts explaining what the id is. And then that's when, um, Nielsen's character starts putting two to two together. And he's going, Oh my God, the monsters are coming from your id Morbius. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, what's funny though is humanity doesn't really need, the monsters from the id to come to life because they, they do it to themselves anyway without the, you know, they, they just do it themselves, you know, drop bombs. Well, yeah, but then you know who's doing it. Right. Oh, you're right. So there's yeah. no mystery and no no movie. 
Yeah, well, and I, yeah, also, uh, yeah, that's that's a fair point. But but it's it's a brilliant point too, though, which is it shows that. Uh, um, I, I mean, I just loved how the fact that you find out that this brilliant race, the Krell, you know, as you said, Mike, a million times smarter and better than the humans, and they, they even had the same, I guess, psychopath gene in them, or or whatever the the primitive mind is. I actually, I think they use the word primitive in the movie um, that caused all the strife in the world that we have. Right. Well, I, I mean, look, this is always my response when people say, you know, they can't believe we're in the 21st century or 2020. We still have to deal with issues of racism and you know, racism is as, as we understand it is a, um, relatively, yeah, well, I'm new. not even just talking about racism, but no, 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 knows. but I'm saying yeah. that, that, yeah, that, I'm saying it's a relatively new thing, you know, but we always hated people. We didn't necessarily hate them for the color of their skin. We hated them for their nationality. I mean, the English and the French have hated each other forever. You know, the Irish and the English and well, pretty much everybody in the English. The the Swedes and Norwegians hated each other. Yeah, there's there's always been, and and it's, look, it's it's an instinct. And, you know, everyone likes to tell, there was one study that said, well, children don't see race or color. It's like, no, if you look at all the other subsequent studies they've done, Children are really good at picking up when they're when they're young, like me and not like me. Now, that might be by race or sex or whatever, but it makes perfect sense, right? If you're living in a tribal culture, you 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 don't go trusting other tribes. It just makes sense. It's a safe thing. It's an instinct. I'm not saying it's yeah. a good thing. I'm saying it's a natural thing, mm-hmm. and it's something we have to work to overcome. But when we refuse to acknowledge those instincts are there. That's when they can start to to, to erode our, our thinking, and 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 I do think that's part of the reason we are where we are is because of people who kind of want to deny that those things are still there and still an issue. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and and uh, and you know, and, and you're talking about you know what we, we see now in, in the news, but I mean, yeah. this this also implies uh, jealousy. Envy, yep. because Morbius, he killed all the people because of jealousy, envy, pride, and those things. It had nothing to do with heritage or religion or gender or any of that other stuff. So this film um, was talking about the the general uh, instincts, never mind the, the, the example you use, Mike, but, but the one right. that you use is a perfect analogy for, to make people understand what we're talking about or what the movie was talking about. Right. And there's nothing in this film to make us think that Walter Pigeon, that Morbius is, um, secretly seething at the idea that he's going to lose his daughter. Right. right. He, again, he acknowledges it. He recognizes it. He's always very cordial with the, with the, with the crew. There was no conflict there whatsoever. It is right. just purely an animal instinct of their, you know, and we all have mixed emotions and, you know, um, I, I, you know, I can have, um, you know, a friend of mine retiring from work this year and I can be very happy for my friend, but I can also be kind of a, you know, annoyed or upset that I'm not going to have that person at work to talk to anymore. Right. You know, you right. can have, have things happen <laughs> on multiple levels. And you right. just recognize that one is a more selfish thing than others, and you just stuff it down. Right. Well, it's it's like uh, uh, you know, example would be you know, it, you just use a simple example: a uh, uh, little league baseball game. Uh, you have uh, a kid hits a home run and wins the game, and 
all you had to do was come up to bat and you could have got that home run yourself and you could have won the game. And now you're all jealous that, you know, Joseph gets the credit for hitting a home run. It's like, or whatever, I'm angry. But you're not going to beat him up or kill him. But your id would if it was alive. Right. Well, that I. <laughs> exactly. That's that's the perfect example. So something as innocuous as as uh, the neighbor painting his house purple that would piss Mr. you Pine's off. Purple like, house. Yeah, you you're like ah, that bastard. But you're not going to shoot him or or yell at him, and you still probably have a beer with him. But in your mind, you know you you have a pass passing thought of like what a dumbass. Not me. It, he won't see but, the morning. Yes. <laughs> well, right. Well, and, and the id for for the rest of us, Eric. Maybe he wouldn't see the morning for you, but for the rest of us, he would see the morning unless our id was alive. Dun dun dun. You like purple? Let's see how you like purple. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And so that's that's the thing that's interesting about the film because it shows the innocuous anger or jealousies that we all have if they were. Um, physical manifestations the 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 horror they would 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 cause to the world and and this is why it's so important so so important that you all contact your legislators and encourage them to pass into law the annual purge <laughs> so that oh. we can all keep that it fed and in check so now I read that this movie was in part based on the Shakespeare play, the Tempest. Um, either, you know, anything about that? I, I think I've heard that. I, I, I read it somewhere, but I never followed up on it because I never read the Tempest. So I never, yeah, I, I yeah, haven't, I, there, there was a movie of the Tempest made recently with a bunch of famous people in it. So I might check that out. Uh, I'm most familiar with the 1980s, uh, Atari video game. Uh, but different Tempest. Tempest, completely different. Uh, so I, I don't believe I read the Tempest when I was reading a lot of Shakespeare many years ago. Holy um, but I, 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 what I was thinking, there's this recent movie, this recent adaptation of the Tempest with a bunch of famous people in it. And like I knew that Helen was one of them. Yeah. It came out in 2010. What the fuck? Oh, okay. <laughs> that's not recent. <laughs> no, no, no. I was just going through my, uh, I, you know, I've, my HBO now got upgraded to HBO Max, and there's uh-huh. a the, the Turner Classic Movie channel on there, mm-hmm. and it's sad to see. Not, I mean, like, like what is, let's say, like bracing Citizen Kane and 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 uh, of the Hidden Fortress, and yeah. and you've got movies from like. 10, 15 years ago in, on Turner Classic Movies. I'm like, oh, God. Yeah, Dan oh. and I went to see a Turner Classic presentation of Die Hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making it no, up. <laughs> no, I get it. I always talk about Scream and how awesome the film is, and you think everybody would know it, but that film is 24 years old now. Yeah. It's like, Jesus, that's nuts. Yeah. You know, crazy. Well, well, I'm watching I'm watching the Scooby Doo films with my my the ones with Matthew Lillard from Scream. Scooby Natural yet? Uh not yet, no. Ooh. I, I know. I was supposed to watch it Saturday night, but I wasn't able to get to it. But I'm watching those Matthew Lillard ones, and those films are already sixteen years old. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's like crazy. Well, another one like a one for me was again, 
the way I got probably introduced to this film was through Star Wars. Star Wars came out in 77, so when Star Wars came out, Forbidden Planet was already an old movie. It was 21 yeah. years old. And Star Wars is Which now... Which is younger than is now. Yeah, right, Star Wars is now 43 years old. It is more than twice as old now as Forbidden Planet was when Star Wars came out. Well, well, that's you know, I, I was thinking about this uh, last year when during the D-Day celebration or something, and I was thinking, yeah, when I was born, that was wicked old. But when you think about it, World War II ended only 25 years before me and you were born, Mike. And now Vietnam is 40-something years. It's like, holy shit. It's not. Right, and if, I, and if you want to play the game a little more, right, now, what would be a movie? So it's a 21-year gap. What's a movie that came out 21 years ago from 2020? Right. The Matrix? Six Sense? Blair Witch Project? Stop! Those Stop. are... Stop! <laughs> that's terrible, dude. That's his, that's like, yeah. Oh, my God. That's crazy. And yeah, so when we were born, Mike, World War II was 25 years before. Uh-huh. So 25 years ago, that scream. That's nuts. Yeah. Dude, that is right. freaking scream, scream is to is to is is to, to, to today's generation like Casablanca would have been to us. Yes. That's yeah, that's nuts. It's it's fucking bizarre. Um, I mean, we don't notice it because we because we had color and sound back then, right, so right, right. it doesn't necessarily look as different. But yeah, um, yeah, it's just weird. Um, it is weirdy, weirdy, weird, weird. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so back to this film here. Um, uh, what else do we want to bring up about it? Um, oh uh, yeah, the crawl works, uh, short and squat. Because of the doors, that's what Morbius says. He says, "Well, the doors the were shaped the way they were to fit the monsters. Like our doors are shaped to fit us." Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, not as precisely as like when Shaggy and Scooby go running through the wall. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, not like that. Right, right. <laughs> not like exactly. that exact shape. Uh, I wish they showed a picture of this crow. That would have been awesome. They never well, did. I mean, you you get a good idea from the uh, the energy blasts, right? Um. Yeah. Kind of enjoyed was the, them like firing off into the into the um, into the darkness and um, not seeing anything, you know. And then the the crawl like tries to walk through the energy screen, and you just you just kind of oh, get yeah. its, its outline silhouette. Yeah. Um, yes, the crawl is that. You're right. It wasn't just a manifestation of Morbius. It was the manifestation of what a crawl would look like because they were the ones that created the, the, the thing that would have been from the original it's that's really right, good. Because, because, because a killer pigeon isn't going to scare the shit out of anybody. What's that? Eric? I, 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 I'm not with you guys on this one. What? I, I don't think that monster looks like the Krell. What's the right shape? How, how do you know? Well, because we saw the shape of the door. Uh, but, but Eric's thinking it's a creation of the mind of Morbius, and not, yeah. yeah. Well, it might be. But I'm, I think you could be right there, Eric. Yeah, maybe it's a combination of both. Maybe, but mm-hmm. like, why would Morbius's mind create a Corel if he's? I don't know. Has he seen one? Right. Yeah, I don't know. They weren't. They weren't big on picture books. 
Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, does he even know what they looked like? I don't yeah, think he I, does. Or plasma screens. They didn't have many plasma screens. Um, I'm just going by, like, I just did a Google search for Krell, a Google image search. And there are artist interpretations of them looking kind of like the thing from, you know, the, the, the two legged thing that was walking through the energy field. So other people seem to have that idea that that's what the crow are. Interesting. Yeah, there can be multiple wrong people. <laughs> I, I know some of them living in Michigan right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're right, Mike. Look at that. Yeah, they're they're pretty. You're right. My neighbors are wrong all the time. Yeah. Look at that. That is pretty. (laughs) These interpretations are pretty good looking. They're pretty cool. I'll tell you that. But I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. All my neighbors, not me. Um, Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we we don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. Um, I do like how they were. They took a plaster of the the footprint. That was pretty mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they look at it and they go, well, this ain't anything we know. It's kind of birdish, but it has this. And, it, and then they, they say it's like a, not part of the. Like a sloth. Uh, yeah, that's right. They say it could, it was kind of slothish too. Yeah. And it's like, we don't know what it is. And then I liked how it was invisible. And then when it does appear, it's because it walks through the, the force field. And then and then they start shooting it. That was pretty cool. And then I liked how the monster killed the people. They, they actually integrated people on strings and and or dummies or something yeah that was pretty interesting yeah that was awesome like like the animated monster didn't do it for me but the way those guys flew around did (laughs) yeah yeah that was pretty cool um what else uh oh and i liked how morbius every time he created the monster without knowing it 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 got worse and worse so the first time it was it destroyed some their tactical equipment so it didn't even bother the people. And then it killed some of the people. And then it was going to kill everyone. You know, so, so as Morbius got more and more irritated with the, the crew of the, the ship, that it got, the, his id got more and more angry. And that's, the creature would become more and more violent. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that. That was pretty good. Um, let's see what else. I also, I, I liked how he realized that they had to destroy it all at the end. Yeah, yeah, that's true. He's, yeah, because he's like hit the self destruct button, get the fuck out of here. This this has got to stop. Yeah. <laughs> and and he he had to die. Well, he was already. It is his uh, he Brian kind of. Anyway. Yeah, his Yeah, well, he had to go right because once the power was in him, there's no way to stop the id monster. So he had to suicide. I, I don't know if the id monster was. I think the id monster was local to the planet. Oh yeah, you could be Cause, right because I think it's being created by the machinery. Right, it's just amplifying what he's thinking. So right. if he gets away from it, it does. It doesn't do it anymore. Oh, that's a fair point too. Yeah, yeah. So why did why does he die then? Did was he already dying? Well, he died because he he confronted his id monster. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's how he died. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why you should never confront your inner demons. <laughs> never look inward. It's just bad news. <laughs> <laughs> your inner monster yeah. is other people's problems. Right. Yeah. So, so he was mortally wounded at that point. That's what it yeah. was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. And then he had them set the, the self-destruct button because if it, if this tool ever got in the hands of, 
a true psychopath, it's all it's all over. Or even not just a psychopath, just like people have to stop coming here and doing this. Right. Because <laughs> they're just going to kill each other. You, yeah, because that little boy is going to want to kill the home run champ. Right, right. You know, without even knowing it. So, yeah, yeah that's a fair point, Eric. Yeah, you, we got to stop this. Yeah, it's a shame. All that great technology. <laughs> Rumor. <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually a pretty good suspense scene at the end though too when the monster's going through door to door and it and it has to melt the door like you said eric so it wasn't like it just pulled a scooby-doo and shaggy and ran right through the the, the wall you know that melting door effect was really impressive it was awesome yeah and and the thing is it's invisible too and so you see the um after it's half melted the invisible creature pulls back the metal and the metal uh, yep. ends. That was pretty cool too. And then they know the creature's in. It's like, holy shit, what are we going to do? And that's when, yeah, right. And that's when Morbius confronts it. And you, yeah, yeah. So if you, yeah, if you confront, you know what though? Would you say, don't, didn't that's what happened in Goodwill Hunting? He confronts his own demons and he's, hel- he's, he's better. So shouldn't Morbius have been, I confront you. It's all right. I'm not going to dig into this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's see. Anything else anybody want to bring up? Anything else? I'm good. Mike, you you wrote it. Yeah, I think think I'm stated. Yeah, all right. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, All right. So uh, let's see. Um, Before we get into our final thoughts of this film, uh, any, uh, movie news, not necessarily genre news, but you know, movie news or anything that you wanted to bring up or, you know, TV, anything that people that like cinema or, or, or motion art, anything, anyone? No news? Well, I, I, I do want to mention if you, um, uh, if you have not already subscribed, if you have a chance to give HBO, not HBO now. What's HBO Max. HBO Max to try. It, the, the, just for the, 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 the Turner Classic Movie stuff, there's a lot of classic films in there, including some classic genre films. Um, uh, I know there's some things on there I definitely want to check out. Um, so, And if you're a horror sci-fi nerd, they just got the Criterion uh, Collection Godzilla films, right? So all the Godzilla films that were in the... Uh, the, most of the Toho films, the, the not the Toho. What, do you, what what era was that? Uh, oh, Shojin, Shojin, the show of films, yeah. right up through Terror of Mechagodzilla, I think, starting yeah. with the original. Actually, had they have both Godzilla and uh, Godzilla King uh, oh, of the no, Monsters think, there. So. Think, Son of Godzilla, I think that's the. Is that the, the ledge? Oh, yeah, okay. I don't know. yeah, yeah. Well, and it sucked too. So I put, I put, my, I say, kids, you want to watch? Uh, Godzilla's and my two daughters say, yeah, yeah. And they went and they got their stuffed Godzilla's that I got at Scarecon and they brought them down to watch on, on the couch. And the, so I say, all right, we'll do uh, son of Godzilla. Cause I heard that is like a good kitty film. And that one is the only one that, that they don't have a dub for. <laughs> so I said, all right, we can't watch this one. Cause they're going, How's your How's your and my, my girls are going, what are you saying? Where? So I had to say, Oh, it's like your friend, Naomi, Naomi, or no, Neon, me, uh, at school because uh, we have a, uh, a Japanese girl that's at school. But so we had to switch to 
the one with Ultratron or whatever it is. That one. The one with the giant robot that looks like oh Jet Jet Jew or something. Jet, jet Jaguar with Megalon. Jet, Did you just yeah. say Jet Jew? Well, I was saying Nijit, I was thinking like Nijitsu or something, and it was really Jetsu. <laughs> but it's it's Jet Jaguar. That's what it is. Yeah. So we're watching that, but we had to shut it off after like twenty minutes because my oldest daughter got scared because there was a guy that used a ray gun and and made people um, pass out, and she got scared. But my other daughter, my four-year-old, goes, oh, I want to watch this. This is great. <laughs> she's on board. Yeah, she's on board. Yeah, the problem with using Son of Godzilla or whatever that the, the Godzilla's Revenge was the American title is that like it recycles the footage from every Godzilla movie. Right. So they'll have nothing, no reason to watch any of the others after it. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, you're right. HBO Max is pretty solid stuff there. Yeah, but but they have a lot of good stuff because obviously they're renting out stuff because I, I don't know if Criterion is owned by them or not but I don't think it is I think it's owned by Janus or something but either way uh, they they have the rights to show some of that stuff but they have uh, HBO Max is owned by Warner Brothers so they have all Warner Brothers stuff so that includes the CW stuff so all the CW shows you can get on there so that includes DC stuff um, so that's all there. And um, they have a bunch of other stuff like Cartoon Network, a bunch of anime networks, and uh, all that. So HBO Max is, is loaded with stuff. Now the question is, does it have a? Will the original content catch up to uh, other stations? Because that's you know that's what will determine uh, people like my wife if she, what what she'll watch on it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they got they got hit. Um, because of COVID, um, a lot of shows and things they were doing were in production and had to get shut down. Right. Uh, you know, uh, no excuses. It, it's you know, it, they, so but they're they're missing out at the moment. We will see. Right. Uh, well, you know, we'll see what they have to offer. You know, let's say a year from now. Um, you know, it's for for something that's just that's technically just starting out. They got a lot. And we're also in a situation where there's a lot of entanglement between the rights so for example disney owns the rights to the fox films but alien and aliens which are fox films are on hbo max right now because of previously existing deals that go for years yeah 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 that's that's actually the cinderella movie the live cinderella movie because we wanted to watch it but um they you can't because disney still has someone else has the rights to it for a year until september and then uh, Mary Poppins, uh, the the new one with Emily Blunt is, is still on Netflix, I think. So they have That's that for another. Yeah, yeah. So there's a, there's a few things that are Disney products that are still on other stations, and uh, and that includes, like you said, with the Fox uh, Alien films. So yeah, well, yeah. As long as we're talking about streaming stuff, I want to make Mike's night and go on an anti Apple rant. Um, Woohoo! <laughs> Because <laughs> here's the thing, um, I got Apple TV, the Apple TV Plus service for a year for free when I bought my phone. Uh, so I'm not paying for it, so I might as well check it out. And I've checked it out. And here's the thing, is that um, the interface in the Apple oh, TV yeah, Plus app is just yeah, yeah. a goddamn mess. Yeah. Um, and like you go in there and depending on because uh, they don't have any clear organization to what you're looking at, like right. it starts up at the top with 
maybe things you've been watching recently. Um, and then there's a strip of channels that you can subscribe to through Apple. And then they have like highlighted shows that they're trying to push on you. And then they have things maybe by genre. Uh, and then they have Apple originals and then they have all this stuff. And the, the thing that's the worst about it all is that depending on which view you're looking at, because when you switch tabs up at the top of the behavior changes, which by the way, bullshit move. Um, but they don't even necessarily tell you what's on what service when you're looking at it. Right. So you see something and you're like, oh, that looks interesting. And you, you click on it and it's like, oh, well, you need to subscribe to CBS All Access to watch that. It's like, well, fuckers, yeah. give me yeah. a way to filter this so it only shows me what I'm already subscribed to. Um, right. And, and, and a- Apple and, should be and- ashamed of themselves because theoretically they're the one that started like the user interface they're the ones that had all these strict guidelines for their user interface back when steve jobs was running the place um and he's probably rolling over in his grave over this bullshit that they threw up all over the place on apple tv plus it is a horrible horrible way to navigate your entertainment and i don't like it at all Yeah, I I think it's the main problem with it because me and my wife felt the same thing as you, Eric, which is we want to go to Apple Plus and just see the stuff that's on Apple Plus. So we want to see all their original shows, the movies they have. You 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 can see that eventually, but you got to kind of find it. Right, and that's stupid. If you go to the top level, which is the Apple Plus icon Uh on your Apple TV screen – you should be able to click open that and immediately go in and just see everything that is part of Apple Plus itself, similar to when you press the Yeah, they just did a horrible job of organizing all the content. It's awful. Yeah, they're trying to make it a a, a go-to-all-start type thing Uh is what what they're trying to do. In other words, they they want to make it the interface for everything which is kind of silly because they already have the interface for everything which is the top level so why should you go down one level and then have the same or not the same but a more confusing interface underneath it i get what they're going for but they're doing it wrong (laughs) there's there's a better way to do that in fact if they were to hire me and pay me a bunch of money i i could advise them on how to do it better uh but they just don't care yeah, and yeah. It's unfortunate because I want to see just Apple original content r- right when I open that icon and not go through all that crap that you're talking about, Eric. Now, what are you yeah. saying? I was going to say it's um, I, you know, I remember when a lot of the streaming stuff started, like Amazon, I think has a terrible interface, at least on the Xbox app. Oh um, no, it's 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 terrible everywhere. Amazon is pretty bad too. It's not as bad as Apple, but but it, it, it's 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 bad. It's the and, second worst. And yeah. it's it's and I think what it is is just that they're outsmarting themselves that they are trying to uh like steer you in certain directions, they're trying to push this or push that mm-hmm. instead of just letting you find what the hell you want to watch. Right. Right. And they're trying to trick you into subscribing to new services when in reality that just frustrates whoever's trying to watch shit and they go, fuck it. I'll go to Netflix. Right. Right. And, and, and by the way, even Netflix's interface oh, ain't all that too. hot either. 
there. It used to be um, better. Remember, Eric, with the original Apple TV, that that one was pretty good because it had the horror. It, you know, it had all the genres, and now it's on the side, and uh, it's crappy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still better than the others, but it's it used to be better before they. I like. I, I I think I kind of like Hulu's interface the best. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know what else is a pretty good interface too is is CBS Now. That's a good one too. I'm not that's paying a, for that shit. Yeah, I haven't I haven't done that. I like Voodoo's interface, but that's not doing it. Well, I mean, technically it has its own. They, they dip their toe in the water, but that is pretty much a straight purchasing. Um, which which one's that, Mike? That is that Voodoo. Is I've, I've, yeah, oh, Voodoo. That's yeah. that's mostly purchasing and renting, and that's yeah. I think a very simple and organized layout. So I like that one. Well, the Apple uh, Apple's movie icon is just like Voodoo's, and it's really good. Right, Eric. You know, because you 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 open the movie Apple Movies and you pop that open, and then it lists the genres. No, I had no I had no issues with their original apps, but and in fact, I still use those because they're laid out better. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. And uh, yeah, so the only reason I go to the Apple Plus app now is to watch Apple Plus content because it's useless for everything else. I'll I'll take the standalone apps. Thank you. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And uh, but yeah, Mike. Uh, I, I, yeah, Voodoo. Voodoo is pretty pretty solid for uh, the way they do it. Uh, even some of the free services like Pluto TV and 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 uh, what's the other one? Uh, Tubi and a couple of others. They're they're pretty good too uh, for their setups. But again, they're mostly you know Tubi. You know, they're just movies and stuff. But I don't know. Um, but yeah, I know what you mean, Eric, about CBS now. But again, I bought that because uh, my wife loves regular TV crap, and so uh, I, I got that for a year subscription for Christmas for her. I'm, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying I'm not paying for it. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and since we, and it's good for someone like us though too because we dumped cable. So if you want live TV, it gives mm-hmm. you all the CBS channels live. Mm-hmm. So you get all that plus you get. Uh, there are new uh, stories or TV, and then of course you get all the the stuff that you would get like on Netflix or something too. Mm-hmm. So it, it's good. It's just that, yeah. I mean, you know, if, if it's, I know what you're saying there. You have to pick and choose what you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I can't probably... have all the subscriptions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could. You just don't no, want to. No, I don't want to pay for all that. That's what well, I don't right. want to. That's the thing. Yeah. Right. Well, well, yeah. I mean, like like certain subscriptions I'll pay for if I use it twice a month. Like HBO, when I'm not watching like a, a series, uh, you know, I'll watch maybe. I'm probably going to shut my HBO off pretty soon, to be honest, because I've caught up with everything I want to watch on there. The, even the Max? Yeah, most of the stuff they added yeah. to Max to make it Max isn't that interesting to me. Sure, that's a fair point. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll probably right, stick- like those Turner Classic movies. A lot of things that are as uh, Eric would describe them old. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. But but it's it's smart. I, I think a lot of these companies are going to start going that route, where they're going to cl- allow people to get their channels uh, for through apps instead of going through cable for example uh earlier in the covid uh pandemic fox news allowed free access to their tv through the fox news app 
Otherwise, you know, you have to have Comcast or, or DirecTV or whatever. The and so it was kind of been around for a while. It's it's just uh, it's they make you watch the commercials, which is why I don't use them. Right. Right. But but my point is, is that Fox News demonstrated that basically they said because of the pandemic, we're going to give you news for t- two months for free. And so since we don't have cable, we were using that for a while. And then, of course, you lose it. But the thing is, is it was just like HBO now where you didn't have to go through cable and you could still get HBO. So I'm thinking all these channels may start doing that. And, you know, because you, people will pay three or four bucks for, for Fox news or CNN or MSNBC, whatever news station you is, you know, your wheelbarrow, wheelbarrow, you get it? <laughs> wheelbarrow. <laughs> I said that on purpose. Uh, but either way, um, they, you know, you, people will do that. So I think, that's what they're going to do. And I think that's why CBS does it. Because like now you can get CW, ABC and NBC have uh, um, apps that you can watch stuff free from live, you know, live TV uh, to a day later while Fox and CBS, you can, no Fox and ABC, you can or something. And, and so there, you know, we don't use those, but we, we and you couldn't do CBS either, but since CBS a lot is smart enough to create their own service, you can get CBS now and plus everything else. But Fox Channel, which is you know the regular Fox Channel and the regular ABC Channel, you can't get anything. You can't watch those programs unless you have cable or Directv or something. I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, because we, when we dump dump cable. My wife was freaking out. She goes, oh, my God, I can't watch any of my shows anymore. And then this guy on Facebook that I'm friends with, John Glover, uh, mentioned, oh, actually, uh, all, all those stations, ABC, NBC, CBS, CW, Fox, whatever, they all have, have apps. And most of them uh, give you everything free anyway, and you can just watch it on demand. And it's like, oh, okay. And so I downloaded all the apps. And then uh, some of them are very limited, but some are, are pretty strong where you can watch everything. Like CW app. You can watch everything, and that <laughs> well, was why cool. would you want to? <laughs> well, I guess if you're fans of DC, and I don't know what else is on that state. Well, that's, my wife, that's what my wife said. She goes, she goes, yeah, there's nothing really here that I, I like. I mean, what's this? I don't like these superhero <laughs> stuff, and I don't care about science fiction or horror. It's like I don't want any of this. It's like, well, it's free. So, Superheroes yeah. and vampires, and you know, and supernatural. That's that's and and. Uh, Occasionally, a weird religious show or something, but it's just uh, they used to have a bunch of teen, teen angst shows too, like yeah. Dawson's all that type of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. So either way, it uh, it didn't appeal to my wife, so she doesn't really use it that much, even though we have that channel for free with the app. All right. Anyway, yeah. All right. So let's wrap it up. So let's uh, give our final thoughts before we do. But Eric, you do another podcast with Buddy Dan. I do. It's a general interest podcast called the Scancy Podcast. That's spelled A-S-K-A-N-C-I-T-Y. You can get it wherever you found this one. Excellent. And, uh, Mike, we, me, you, Eric, and then two other co-hosts do another podcast? Yeah, but then they're not here, so screw them. Um, yes, so the other podcast, of course, is the Dark Discussions Podcast, which is the mother podcast. All these other little podcasts, uh, such as Bullets, Brothels, and Bots. And you know nothing about snow. Um, and uh, Halloween, between critique, psychotronic reviews. Um, 
Anthony's Horror Show, is it called? And, oh, Anthony Stee's Horror Show, Fishnets and Phantoms. I forgot about that one. And wasn't wasn't there another one we added? Yeah, uh, Dark by Dawn or something like that. Yeah, I think that's what it's called. Okay. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we're losing track. I'm losing track. Oh, oh Phil, Phil, Phil doesn't even look anymore. America. He just yeah, looks at anybody good. Uh, searching for American Gods. Again. Yeah, right. Searching for American Gods. That was another one. So, um, yeah, so we're going to that umbrella, but it's Dark Discussion was the Mother podcast. It is a uh, uh, podcast dedicated to horror film fiction and all that is, is fantastic, uh, as the name implies. Uh, we're discuss uh, genre I think deserved discussed intelligently, or you know we'll take a, our best shot at it anyway. Yeah, and the good thing about that is if uh, you folks like this podcast and hearing our uh, discussions on movies, uh, that one, Dark Discussions Podcast, is a weekly podcast. So uh, if you subscribe to Dark Discussions Podcast wherever podcasts are found. Um, you can hear us weekly as well uh, for this podcast and for Dark Discussions. Or I should let me rephrase. For this podcast, you can find it two places. You can find it under the Dark Discussions Podcast RSS feed, wherever podcasts are found, because uh, that will uh, have this podcast in its feed as well as the Dark Discussions Podcast. But also Cinema a la carte, just search for that wherever you listen to podcasts, and uh, you will be able to listen to us under that feed too. Um, all right, so let's give our final thoughts. So, uh, Eric, uh, what's your final thoughts on Forbidden Planet? Uh, it, there's a reason it's a classic. Um, you know, it's, it's not my personal style, but I enjoyed watching the movie. I'm glad I got it under my belt. Uh, so yeah, good movie. All right. Very good. Uh, yeah, for me, um, yeah, I, I think it's a really solid film. Um, it's, it's got, as we noticed, uh, some, some humor, uh, it has some sex appeal as we, we mentioned too. Uh, but it also has a really great plot and a really good story as well as great special effects and uh some originality in its music score and so forth uh, iconic robot and you get to see uh some classic actors uh in their heyday when they were much younger uh which includes uh, leslie nielsen and francis and walter pigeon so uh high recommend by me and if you like um uh extras you can buy the Blu-ray, which uh, is fairly new within the past 24 months, uh, and it has uh, a really good science fiction documentary about 1950s. Uh, it's an hour documentary, um, and as I mentioned, it included uh, major uh, directors of uh, science fiction films of, of uh, the past 40 years that basically int are interviewed the entire uh, documentary with clips of their own films as well as old films. So, uh, recommended even the Blu-ray Mike. Yeah, this is like I said, it's a classic. Um, I don't know where I would rate it in with those films. I think it, part of it stands apart, uh, like the invasion of the body snatchers of the thing and so forth. The production values, the, the fact that it's in color, um, I think make it stand apart from a lot of those classic science fiction films. Uh, the, the art design, the, uh, you know, it's all just beautiful to watch. The story, it's uh, it is slow paced, but it's only about uh, 139 minutes. Uh, not, sorry, scratch that. An hour and 39 minutes, not 139 minutes. It's only about an hour and 39 minutes. Uh, so I think the, the pacing is is bearable, even for somebody with a more modern uh, entertainment metabolism. Uh, and if you if you consider yourself a science fiction fan, there's really 
just to be an informed fan, you really need to see this film. This is a, a good film for historical purposes. All right. Very good. So, uh, once again, uh, tonight's topic was uh, Forbidden Planet. Uh, as Eric said, you can uh, get it on VOD, um, and it's uh, in most likely the the remastered version. Uh, the film is considered a classic, as he said as well, so they've always kept it in great condition uh, because they've always been proud of it, MGA and MGM has. Uh, the film is from uh, originally from uh, 1956, um, and as Mike said, uh, I classic as well as uh, a historical piece. Uh, so uh, check it out. And with all that stated, Eric, why don't you lead us out? All right. Thanks for tuning in. Let's just talk about Forbidden Planet. Come back next month. We'll have another movie to talk about.